Well, good afternoon and welcome to Round the Table with Christian Concern. Uh, I'm Paul Huxley, Communications Manager at Christian Concern. And uh, today, as always, we're going to be looking at some of the important stories of the week uh, from a Christian perspective and particularly uh, things that are related to our work at Christian Concern. Um, today, I'm uh, pleased to be joined by some really extraordinary people. Uh, so I'll talk, uh, I'll introduce them first. Uh, and then we'll talk about what we're talking about. Uh, Andrea Williams, our chief executive, uh, is with me. There she is. Um, hi, Andrea. Hi, good to be with you. We're also joined by uh, Dr. Joe Boots, all the way from Canada. Hi, Joe. Good afternoon, Paul. Nice to be with you. Good morning to you. Um, and also by Pavel Stroiloff, who's a member of our Christian Legal Centre team. Um, hi, Pavel. Hi, hi, Paul. Hi, everyone. Well, as I say, we've got these people together. It's been a rather extraordinary week. Uh, we first of all uh, thought we'd enjoy, uh, we'd invite uh, Dr. Joe Boot along because he is one of the Canadian pastors who've written a letter to uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau um, about the Freedom Convoy, about the trucker protests that have been happening in Canada. Uh, however, they speak uh, to much bigger issues as well. Uh, and with Thursday and um, and everything that's been happening in the Ukraine and with Russia, and we've uh, lots of what's in the letter that Joe wrote has a lot to say about that situation as well. So we're gonna we're gonna cover both topics. Um, so first of all, Dr. Joe Boot, tell us um, well tell us what you do in Canada, and and tell us uh, what's been going on with the truck and protests. Sure, thanks, Paul. Well, I'm the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in uh, West Toronto. And uh, I'm also the, the founder and president of the Ezra Institute, um, which is uh, based here in just outside of Toronto as well. And um, over the years, I've been privileged to, to, to partner with Christian Concern as well for the Wilberforce Academy. So um, longstanding connections and, and relationships uh, with the UK. And uh, many of you will be aware that uh, the... Um, well, it was making the news all around the world, really, about these uh, recent uh, convoys, freedom convoys or trucker protests where um, large groups of, uh, of trucks primarily descended on Ottawa um, for a for a peaceful um, protest. And it really was a sort of carnival type atmosphere, um, candy floss, bouncy castles, hot tubs, children uh um in the streets people playing the drums um indigenous uh people uh, with their dances uh, people from all kinds of different walks of life age groups and so on participating in this unfortunately though despite the size and the uh the reach and the popularity of this freedom convoy that was being welcomed actually all the way all all all, all on its way to Ottawa people were lining highways and bridges and waving canadian flags and so on um instead of actually engaging uh with the issues the 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 federal government under justin trudeau refused to even communicate or speak with the the, the leaders of the convoy didn't want to uh, discuss any of their concerns which which was essentially two years of some of the most draconian restrictions and mandates in the world and instead, they were described as uh, racist, misogynist people with unacceptable views. Um, and um, uh, there was a sort of gradual ratcheting up of uh, a, a, an attempt to crush um, and stamp out the peaceful protests, which culminated about 10 days ago 
in the federal government's declaration of um, the Emergency Powers Act of 1988, which replaced the War Powers Act, which uh, was only, I think, previously invoked by Trudeau Sr. in 1970 with respect to some riots. Um, so this was a never-before-used act. It was like taking a sledgehammer to, squ to squash an ant. Um, and um, uh, heavily armed uh, police were brought in, armored vehicles, police, uh, mounted police. There were incidents of people being peaceful people. In fact, a, an indigenous woman, woman with, a, with a walk who was trampled underfoot by horses. Um, and uh, despite all the provocation, people did not respond with violence. Uh, there was no um, there was no riot, but it was trying to be painted as this sort of insurrection trying to overthrow the government. Um, and uh, along with that, and perhaps what concerned people the most was that there was then uh, with this act, the ability to freeze people's bank accounts, to seize their property. So the, the, the trucks were, were, were trucks were seized by the police. Not only were truckers windows smashed and then dragged out by gunpoint but their, their trucks were then impounded impounded and seized by police officers by the government and uh financial penalties were being applied people who had made donations through crowdfunding sites to the freedom convoy to to to, to make up the, the, the income of these truckers who were um sacrificing you know who many many cases lost everything and had nothing to help support them uh, their bank accounts have been frozen. Now, um, about 48 hours ago, um, due to, I think, a combination of international pressure, terrible press globally, but more specifically, head counting in the Senate. So the federal government uh, started phoning around because in Canada you have the, the, the House and you have the Senate. And the Senate, for, for, the, for the Emergency Act, which was voted on, it passed through the House of Commons, but it had to be ratified by the Senate. Um, and it didn't look like, or it looked dicey whether Trudeau was going to have the numbers. And so while they're debating it, when he's done his uh, finger in the air, test the what, what's going on, um, he decided to drop the Emergency Act about 48 hours ago um, in order to escape the possible um, embarrassment and humiliation uh, of, uh, of the, the act being overturned. And... Um, and as a consequence, though, although that act has dropped, um, some of the the emergency powers that are in the act, the government wants to make permanent, which includes um, government control of all crowdfunding through FinTrack. So that's the situation. And that's what prompted us to write a, um, uh, well, I, I was privileged on behalf of these pastors to pen a letter to the federal government, which they jointly signed and um, which remarkably, we, we were just trying to make a local Canadian statement um, to the prime minister as, as an act of unity among churches uh, across Canada, because pastors from across the nation signed it. And then we very quickly had about 60,000 other signatures. It was picked up uh, last Friday by um, Fox News. It was the lead story on the Fox News website last Friday and the Daily Wire picked it up. So it got, uh, and I believe got some coverage in England and Australia. So we were both uh, blessed and encouraged and surprised to see the amount of international attention that a letter from some pastors actually garnered. Well, it's, it sounds quite familiar in terms of the way the government's behaved in that to some of the things that have happened with COVID in the UK with church closures and things. Andrew, do you have any any thoughts about that? Any reflection? Yes, I mean, I think that um, 
what still surprises me is that people are surprised by these kinds of actions by the government uh, or that people that Trudeau is known as being uh, supposedly um, a great liberal, um, a, a man who wants freedom and equality and diversity, and yet this massive intolerance and crushing of any resistance. I have been um, interested, Joe, that Canada has been subject to uh, hugely draconian measures during this whole COVID per period. Without vaccination, you can't get on public transport, you can't move, there are many public places that you can't access. Pastors have been put into prison. We've seen the conversion therapy ban passed in Canada. So there's been a huge shift uh, towards a kind of uh, in, well, intolerance is being um, framed and upheld within the law. And until now, it was as if there was a tipping point and then you saw the the freedom protest come out and as you've said again the way in which um justin trudeau wanted to frame that was that these are misogynist hateful racist racist despicable people when in fact they were people that were for canada they were patriots of canada they were it was led in large part by um a christian christians within uh, christians within Canada, there was a great family atmosphere there, as it was for faith, family, freedom, the things that really count and the things which build and undergird a great moral movement. And we do need the recapturing, don't we, of courage and morality in the public space. I mean, why did it take so long, Joe, to get to this point? I know that there's been some, uh, why, well, I mean, why weren't more people uh, concerned earlier? Although I think possibly they were, but it was just getting the mm. public knowledge around it. Um, I could I can ask you that question of Canada, of course, but we've got we've got similar issues here in the UK. Although we've opened up um, sooner sooner than you, mm. what would you say? Well, I think there was an opportunity to to push these measures back a uh, long time ago in Canada for the church. Um, we had a reopen Ontario churches campaign and with some negotiation with the provincial government, we actually managed to get the churches open at 30%. Then we had something we drafted, actually I had the help of Pavel with uh, called the Niagara Declaration, um, which was signed by hundreds of pastors uh, across the nation. And there was a real opportunity for the church to uh, uh, push back uh, these measures and actually put an end to these draconian actions that we've been experiencing in Canada, but they didn't want to do it. Uh, and uh, actually, in a sense, when the, the church refused to do it, God sent the truckers um, and um, ordinary ordinary people, as you mentioned, many of them, many of them were Christians. In fact, I know uh, many of them personally. Um, and uh, before the Emergencies Act, I had actually had the opportunity to be in Ottawa. I saw firsthand what was going on. This is not sort of anecdotal. Um, and um, these were, you described them correctly, uh, patriots, uh, hardworking, ordinary Canadian people supported by millions around, around the country. 
But yes, you have this um, a sort of silken-haired liberal progressive prime minister that uh, talks a lot about freedom and democracy, but the, the meaning of the lexicon has changed uh, because freedom and democracy, uh, it seems, is only for those who agree with the radical progressive liberal agenda. If you don't, you're, uh, well, I mean, they've tried to almost stylize these people as, as domestic terrorists. Uh, as as people who who hold uh, views that are entirely unacceptable, who were trying to overthrow the government, and you've got Joe. Uh, don't worry, our teachers, our teachers in schools who resist LGBT ideology in schools are are reported to our terrorist watchdog. I mean that no. that's how that's how you get framed. That's that's happening in the UK as well, yeah. and it is and it is the ref, it's the reframing of the, the lexicon, but it is. It's saying that people that won't conform to the new ideology, uh, they, they, are, they are terrorists, they're, they're hateful, uh, their views are not worthy of respect in a progressive and yes. democratic, so-called democratic society, and they should be silenced or punished. Their bank accounts, we've had, we know bank accounts are seized, the bank accounts are removed. Barclays Bank unilaterally closed down Mike Davidson's bank accounts and Corsius Trust, methods of payment removed from certain organisations, things like, you know, the uh, various companies removing uh, abilities to receive monies into certain organisations. Uh, What's amazing is that Russia still can receive bank transfers and, and the EU leaders are still, still yeah. not taking action on that, yet they can shut down various yeah. at least these payment service providers are shutting down all kinds of people for not believing the right things joe i'm quite interested as, as well because i know that you've been speaking about this a lot during lockdown because one of the big refrains that is continually in the public space and in the christian space on this and one of the christian debates on this has been we should obey those in authority we obey our government so if they lock us down in a public health crisis it is the moral duty of the church to obey. And I know that you've been unpacking Romans 13 in all, uh, in all corners of the world on this, and certainly uh, with us um, on, um, in your work with us at the Wilberforce Academy at Christian Concern. And I know it was incredibly well received in Canada, and I know that you've written on it, but we, uh, sorry, in Colombia, I know that they were, because they've been really concerned how it's creeping in there and how they are being locked down. Um, but can you, um, because you said you you you've done so much thinking on this, and can you just put it in a nutshell um, yeah. for us? You like, can I add to that as well? Because quite a lot of that's in in the letter itself, uh, Joe. Yeah. You've, you've you've talked about Psalm two in the letter that you wrote to Justin Trudeau, um, and you've talked about how uh, it's not governments who uh, give people their freedoms. Uh, so if you can also kind of talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point, Paul. So, the, the, yeah, the letter itself, in 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 many respects, uh, frames uh, in 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 a format hopefully suitable to for for public consumption of, of people who are not uh, familiar with scripture. Um, the basic concerns of Romans thirteen, um, and uh, those fundamentally are, first of all, the the absolute sovereignty of God. Uh, over every aspect of life. And, um, and I think this is what is sometimes missed, is that all authority in the Bible 
is subject to God and his rule and his ultimate authority. There can't be more than one absolute principle of sovereignty um, in human life and existence. And, and that's really what this conflict is over. It's over the question of authority. Where does ultimate authority lie? Now, one of the things that I lay out in the letter at the very beginning is that the Canadian uh, Constitution, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, in its preamble, sets out essentially that the, 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 the Charter is framed in terms of the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And the rule of law comes from the English common law tradition rooted in the Bible um, and the absolute authority of Christ himself. And of course, the queen is our head of state and she swore to uphold the law and the gospel of Christ. So our whole legal uh, tradition in the West is built around the absolute sovereignty of God. And that's actually Paul's concern in Romans 13. In Romans 13, uh, Paul describes uh, the state as one human institution that is to be God's deacon, his servant. And it has a delimited role, a very specific and limited role uh, to um, essentially be a ministry of public justice. So it has a limited role to be a ministry of public justice, and it's to do that as God's servant, to reward good, to reward uh, righteousness and punish evil. Now, what, what definition of good and evil is Paul working of, uh, working with there? He's not, um, he's not now going with a Greco-Roman understanding of, of good and evil or righteousness and unrighteousness, justice and injustice. He's, he's talking in terms of God's justice and righteousness. So the state is a deacon, it's a servant, and it uh, has a limited role to serve God's uh, purposes by punishing evil and uh, rewarding righteousness. And that is the reason why we call, as uh, one of the reasons why we call um, uh, people in political life that we voted into office public servants and ministers, the prime minister, uh, civil servants, because they, they occupy an office under God. And whenever, from a biblical point of view, whenever the state ends up forbidding what God commands or commanding what God forbids, then actually we have a prior duty to obey God. That's why Paul Peter asked the Sanhedrin, should we obey God or men, when those come into conflict. And, and this is because it is not the state as a ministry of justice to, to obey God as his servant in this area. It is not the state that gives me the right to bodily integrity. It's not the state that gives me the right to work. It's not the state that gives me the uh, right to worship and obey God. Those are God-given pre-political rights. The state exists to protect those pre-political rights and to be God's servant. That's why I cite Psalm 2 uh, in, the, um, uh, in, in, the, in the letter as well, which places all rulers, all judges, all kings under the sun, they're to submit to him lest they perish in the way. Thanks, Jay. That's really helpful. I really want to bring in Pavel at this point, um, who's been waiting really patiently. Uh, people, viewers will be gathering uh, from his name that he might have a particular connection, of course, with uh, with the Russia situation that's going on, which is which is partly why he's joining us today. Um, so, Pavel, can you explain um, your history um, and why you have a, a particular role, a particular thing to say into this debate? Well, uh, very briefly, I am Russian uh, by uh, origin. Uh, I had to leave Russia in uh, 2004 
for the fear of persecution as a result of my then work as a historian uh, researching uh, the history of Cold War. Uh, and so I've lived in London uh, since then, uh, and uh, I now work for uh, Christian Concern as one of the lawyers at Christian Legal Center. Uh, you know, and part of the reason why these uh, two uh, aspects of my life connect is precisely uh, this uh, connection that uh, uh, Joe was speaking about and Andrea too, uh, in that uh, I feel the uh, as we are entering increasingly this global uh, confrontation with uh, with uh, uh, Putin and communist China and uh, similar regimes. It's quite important for the West to uh, be different from them, in that to remain to remain free and democratic and ultimately Christian, rather than uh, increasingly imitate them uh, by suppressing uh, things like this uh, this uh, Canadian uh, convoy and uh, locking down uh, the whole society. And uh, that that is the uh, as as we are preparing what's for what some people think is going to be world war three well it's important for us in the west to be the free world to enter this this uh, 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 war as a free world and as a christian civilization rather than a slightly less efficient version of china uh, or uh, someone who is as intolerant of dissent as putin but just unfortunately hasn't got the uh, as effective tools for suppressing it. Uh, thanks, thanks, Pavel. You, um, people won't be necessarily aware of the situation uh, in Ukraine and Russia from a religious perspective. Um, I think you have some thoughts or some you, you can help us understand what's gone on with with Putin and the church in Russia and also the church in Ukraine. So, uh, what's the what's the situation for uh, non-conforming Christians who don't? Uh, belong to the official Russian church um, and and what's that got to do with Putin's um, actions in Ukraine? Yes, well I, I'm glad you asked me this because I think a lot of uh, our uh, friends here, uh, possibly some of the people who are listening, uh, have some naive uh, wishful thinking daydreams about Putin being a pillar of conservative values, Christian values and so on. So just to be clear about Putin's version of Christianity, yes, now and then for tactical reasons, he likes to do some flirting with, with Christianity, you know, rather blasphemous uh, flirting. But the way he sees it is that Christianity can be very useful for, an, for my uh, earthly empire and look at some historic empires that were there, including Russian Empire. Uh, empire. Well, clearly, uh, Christian church has been helpful. And to that extent, he is prepared to be a patron of the church, provided it is one church, totally disciplined, totally subservient to the interests of his earthly empire. And basically, uh, you can worship Christ as long as Christ is a loyal helper of Caesar. That's his view of this, and of course, anyone who is not part of the of the official structure, well, all uh, all uh, non-conformist churches or Orthodox churches who are not part of that, well, they are uh, at risk of, of persecution or are actually 
getting persecuted. And in terms of the war with Ukraine, well, part of that, and mind you, in declaring this war in his speeches this week, he uh, says nothing about him being a, uh, a great conservative Christian champion. Uh, he, he talks about the Soviet Union and how wrong it has been for the Soviet Union to have collapsed. And Ukraine has no right to exist as an independent state. But also part of this reasoning is that Ukrainian church has no right to exist independently of uh, Putin's Russian church. Of course, obviously... you've been listening to him. You've been actually listening to him in you. You've been listening to him in Russian, as opposed to it's hard for us. We 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 can't, we we're getting ev we're, we're getting everything through the eyes of comment report. Um, but you have actually been able to go to source and hear that he's talking about the the the, the dismantling of the Soviet uh, regime, um, yeah. and that and that. That should not have been, and this is about its, you know, or it's in part about its restoration, and yeah, yes. Yeah. No, and he talks, he 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 talks completely uh, uh, mad things about that. He says, well, you know, Ukrainians shouldn't take credit for winning independence uh, from uh, from the Soviet Union. It was simply, well, it was created by Lenin as an administrative unit within the Soviet Union. Uh, it doesn't exist, and if the Soviet leaders a bit more prudent, you know, the whole situation with Ukraine being an independent state wouldn't arise. So if they want to decommunize Ukraine, uh, well, we are happy with that and we are going to take it over because Ukraine doesn't exist apart from, from communists. Well, that is pretty much, I, I think that's a fair summary of what he said you know, this week. And, and this is, you know, this is really the... Um, I, I am convinced that is the truth of what he believes. That is what his real agenda is, as opposed to any tactical uh, uh, comments he makes to try and endear himself to people like us who, be, who uh, don't very much like what's happening in the West and like conservative Christian values. But really a big part of here, that was the only reference to Christianity in what he said. Was that uh, really a slandering of uh, of uh, the Ukrainian state for uh, somehow uh, not giving the Russian church in Ukraine its rights? And what this is referring to is that the Ukrainian, the the uh, what used to be part of the Russian church at the time Ukraine became independent, uh, the the uh, church in Ukraine said, well, we want to be independent uh, now that the empire has collapsed. We want uh, an independent um, uh, Ukrainian church. And of course, and that uh, then there was Moscow was uh, scheming and uh, intriguing and trying to resist that for many years until a couple of years ago, the ecumenical patriarch in, in uh, Constantinople, uh, we, who has this right under the Orthodox tradition to recognize uh, uh, independence of particular national churches. He granted this independence to the Ukrainian church. And basically, well, around that, now the Russian position is that this church has no right to exist. They suffer terrible persecution in, in areas which are already occupied, like Donetsk and Crimea, uh, basically for praying uh, uh, in Ukrainian language and for mentioning the head of Ukrainian church rather than the Russian patriarch. And of course, if, if Ukraine is now occupied, we should expect the same 
uh, to happen all over Ukraine. And, the, and there is an, uh, a similar threat to the quite a sizable uh, Greek Catholic uh, uh, church in Western Ukraine. Because after, after Stalin captured Western Ukraine, it was basically, it was, it was forcibly converted into part of Russian Orthodox Church uh, in, in, uh, in late uh, 1940s. So, so there is a freedom of the church issue around that as well. And the Christian world should really should see it for what it is an attack by uh, by the uh, delusional no, remnant of the soviet empire who have these uh, revanchist ideas against a democratic and christian nation yeah and that's the th i mean i went i remember going to kiev and the people were um stunning but the people that and and we were speaking into um into to government leaders um but there was a great there there was a great there was a, you know there was a great with the people that i was there with and some of them working into government there was a love of their nation and a love of a, lo a love of jesus they are um they they love of family big large families that so the people are conservative they are christian it's christian infused yeah um beautiful city um and they, I think they were hoping for, they were looking to the West, weren't, I mean, again, they were looking to the West. This is a number of years ago that I went there. They were looking to the West for freedom, yeah. for, uh, to be free, to, uh, be able to build their houses, you know, to, to be able to, to, um, build homes. But in fact, when I was bringing them at that time, of course, some of what was happening in the UK and that unless they held firm in their, their policies as Christian, that they would begin to see the kind of uh, ideological tyranny yeah. that we have come over in uh, that we have in the in the UK so, so there's an ideological tyranny that punishes those that don't consent and they, they saw it immediately that I put it out but of course we haven't as the West we haven't served them well we're leaving mm. them there that they're, they're, they're alone. The yeah. world is watching this today, and this is what's really troubled me. And why I reached out to Pavel as someone I, 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 he, he had the courage whilst in Russia to call out to, to to study history and to call it out and have and have to flee. Yeah. So comes as a Russian dissident, he will see that through the eyes of our history into where we are today. And we, yes, we need to pray into this situation. But the truth is this, that unless the, the West, unless we in Great Britain, unless we in Canada, unless we in the United States, unless we in Europe recapture our roots, unless we understand that Jesus Christ is King, Lord of Lords, unless we return to an idea of the sort of supremacy of God, the, the, um, to be Christ honoring, um, that what is our hope? We have, we are, because what our current ideologies have done is they've ripped us of the how now to live. We educate our children in these ideologies so, so the morality is confused. There is no way that we know how to act in a situation like this, even what is morally right. Well, you know, we we right spent a month there. teaching LGBT history when we could have spent a month. Much, much, of the, uh, much of the human rights code, I think, and Pavel will be able to speak to this, that yeah. uh, we came into Europe and um, by Europe into the UK 
was uh, Soviet in origin. Um, and uh, we have to remember, I think, that uh, freedom is the historical anomaly. So it isn't the norm. It isn't, it's never been the historical norm. It's only been where uh, Christianity has taken root that freedom has steadily flourished. And I think that Pavel's made a very, very good point when he was comparing the uh, type of dictatorship, uh, hard dictatorship in, say, China or the former Soviet Union, or now what we're seeing with this resurgence with Putin and what's going on in the West as a sort of soft version uh, and that we can't be reduced to being a soft version because totalitarianism, when you say that word totalitarian, what comes up in people's minds are dictatorial regimes led by charismatic figures in militarized states. And then we think, well, that's totalitarianism. When you look at, say, a Justin Trudeau or what's going on in, in the British state, you don't think all oh, totalitarianism. But the meaning of totalitarianism is that you it is, the, it is the treating, and it goes right back to Aristotle, it's to treat the other spheres of life, the other aspects of life in human society uh, in a parts-to-whole relationship to the state, so that the family and the church and other social institutions are seen as lesser parts of the greater whole of the state, so that the organizing institution, the essential institution of human society that brings it to man to his highest point of moral existence uh, is the state itself. Whereas the Christian view is, no, it, there is no human institution that's the point of unity in human society. It's the kingdom of God as it pervades every area of life subject to God himself so that no one institution can treat all the others as though they are lesser parts of the whole. The state technically is actually a territory. Uh, so I, my family may reside on a state or a church may reside in a given state, but that doesn't make it a part of the state. And so what totalitarianism does is always try to, like Pavel was describing there with Putin, is it's gonna to want to swallow the church and the family and deny it any independence as though it exists only as a part of the greater whole of the state. And so in the laws that Andrea, that you've just talked about, that we've mentioned in Canada, where you're seeing this constriction of freedom is a denial of the independence of the family and of the church. And Bill C-4 in Canada, for example, criminalizes any pastor or parent who would take their, uh, not just a child, but any adult in Canada who wants help with unwanted same-sex desire and goes to a pastor to have that help, that pastor is committing a criminal offense for which they can go to prison for up to five years for offering counsel in a biblical direction. Now that's treating both the individual and the family and the church as though they are less a part of a greater whole. It's called statism. That's the nature of totalitarianism. It doesn't have to be wearing jackboots and screaming from a podium uh, on, in, in, uh, in Paris. But what's terrible about all of that, Joe, is that a large part of the church doesn't see that and, act, and is even buying into the spiritual abuse narrative that is put around the whole conversion therapy talk um, and so on. Mm -hmm. It's a church well, a awakened. A couple okay. of points, uh, you know, in, uh, as a reaction to that. I mean, firstly, I have to say that uh, now and then, as I see what is happening in the West, 
And I remember with horror what I saw happening in Russia in the first years of Putin's regime. You know, well, it is like, for example, and that's just because it is a recent example, when the government says, well, in response to the COVID crisis, we are going to massively liberalize abortion. And that immediately reminds me of Putin saying that in response to terrorist attacks uh, in a particular region, I'm going to abolish elections of regional governors in all regions. You know, how, how they exploit crisis. And the thing is, you know, becoming like Putin's Russia is not as far away as people probably assume. You know, mm -hmm. you have to be on guard uh, against that. And then uh, a second point uh, is it is important for us to be on guard against, you know, looking at the global politics and thinking that global politics as such gives us a, an easy way out. Uh, what I mean is, well, yes, as Andrea said, well, Ukrainians are looking, uh, uh, are looking uh, to the West with hope, uh, you know, to save them from this essentially godless uh, uh, Putin's uh, regime and the threat it poses without realizing uh, that uh, the West is not as free and Christian and good as uh, they may think. And li likewise, you know, some people here in the West looking at uh, all the wokeness and transgenderism and, and madness may think, well, at least Putin hasn't got that. And so maybe uh, it's a good idea for him to be strong and expand and, and uh, capture us. And, uh, and, and obviously, well, it, it has always been like that. And there were people who uh, sincerely believed that uh, uh, Hitler is the only way to de defeat Stalin or that supporting Stalin is the only way to defeat Hitler and so on. Well, that is a mistake and that is an emphatically non-Christian way of, of looking at it. Our allegiance is to a different kingdom. It is to the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, we have to look at those events not from the not how Putin looks at it, like you know, a global chess play uh, with countries and 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 uh, nations and uh, global politics, but from the point of view of right and wrong. And and uh, the, what is happening in uh, what is Putin what Putin is doing in Ukraine is wrong, and what Trudeau is uh, doing in Canada is it's wrong. wrong. And we, uh, we should not fall into the trap of enemy of my enemy is my friend. I want to throw in one other country here as well, because last, last year we had the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan and we left that country completely hopeless. Uh, we, didn't, we, we refused to let uh, US soldiers distribute Bibles, for example, for fear of appearing to be, uh, be, a, be a kind of Christian uh, organisation, Christian uh, sort of... Uh, crusade yeah exactly um and so we left left that valueless and we tried to export essentially liberal democracy to a place um which is full of islam uh, and that didn't go very well uh, to to say the least um and now and now we have a, a a different religion a different sort of force in russia but um but still the the values of our, our secular liberal democracies not of of christ um, so I'm, I, I'd love you all to talk a little bit about that and and what values do we need to recover if we want to recover freedom for Afghanistan, for 
Ukraine um, for the world as a whole. And how do we do? How do we go about that? Maybe Joe talk first. Well, I think uh, obviously fundamentally we have to look. The scripture, as um, both Andrea and Pavel have pointed out, looks to the people of God, um, uh, and the, the the principle that that we as Christians operate in terms of is the kingdom of God, um, and. Uh, it, it, it was it was the the reality, the breaking in through the Lord Jesus Christ of the reality of the kingdom of God that brought about the birth of the first truly free institution in the history of the Western world, which was the church. Uh, and uh, and uh, over a, a process of time, the gradual differentiation of other areas of life under God that were independent of the totalizing state. So you need. Uh, a principle of freedom, and that principle only comes through the absolute sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that that's the ground of freedom, and uh, over every area of life. And and as Andrea pointed out, that has been largely lost. Um, you know, some theologians, some philosophers would, would uh, Christian philosophers would call this the principle of sphere sovereignty. Um, we don't have to call it that, but but that's a way of describing it, which is that there are different areas of life, like the family, the church, and the state, and these are all to be under God and obedient to God, and they have their own uh, law structure that governs them, and uh, they're not to seek to dominate and control the other spheres of life. Uh, I mean, if you treat, for example, if you apply the law that uh, for the family uh, to uh, civil society, you've got a mafia. Uh, if you apply the law of the church to the state, um, as in, you know, canon law and what the way in which we govern the life of the church, well, you have an ecclesiocracy, uh, which was the sort of partially the medieval model. Um, what we need is the recognition, and I think we see it uh, uh, not perfectly expressed, but we see it certainly expressed uh, to a degree in the history of the United Kingdom, um, in Canada, in the United States. Uh, where you have a recognition that Christ is overall, God is sovereign overall, and kings and commoners are subject to his law. This is why in the scripture, the kings of the Old Testament were commanded to read the law of God and to submit themselves to it, to, to memorize it, to, to take it in every day so that they did not raise themselves up above the people. That, that is explicitly what scripture says. And when Saul presumed to act as a priest, when he assumed to take on the role of the church, he lost his kingdom for it. Uh, so you see a, a fundamental separation of these jurisdictions in, in Scripture uh, because the, 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 the totalizing conception of, of the Bible that brings the only ground of unity and freedom is the principle of the kingdom of God. And so we need to recover that as God's people. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is, uh, just as um, as Pavel pointed out, we can't rely on sort of global politics to be the answer to, to human freedom, truth and justice. It, it has to be about the truth. It has to be about right and wrong. In the same way, we can't rely on church institutions to be the entire answer either, whether that's uh, the, the Anglican Church, uh, Lord help us, uh, or the Roman Catholic Church, or the Greek Orthodox Church, or the Russian Church, or the Independent Evangelical Church. Church institutional structures can't save us either, um, because the, the church, let's say actually the body of Christ, is operative everywhere in the world, not just in the church institution. So the family can be a wonderful expression of the kingdom of God. 
the local business can be a wonderful expression of the kingdom of God, because wherever Christ is ruling and reigning, there the kingdom of God is. The local church can be, when faithful, a wonderful expression of the kingdom of God. And the state, when it's obedient to Christ, and when it's subjecting itself uh, to Christ, including the courts and so on, can be a wonderful expression of the kingdom of God. So we need to recognize that the seasoning aspect, uh, uh, reality of the kingdom of God through the work of the gospel in our lives, in every sphere of life, where we're applying the material authority, the fullness of the authority of Christ and his word is where the kingdom and how the kingdom of God spreads. We can't just say, oh, the government's got to do it. If we can just get a Christian prime minister, then everything will be well. If we can just have a Christian president, it doesn't work like that. It's every area of life, uh, in all spheres of life, where we're applying the principles of the kingdom of God. Now, as we do that, that's how freedom was spread. And because the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, um, I mean, the Bible, the scriptures say the coastlands wait for his law. You've got that the nations are waiting. It's part of the Great Commission to go disciple nations in terms of everything God has commanded. So as we do that, we spread the seasoning reality of the kingdom of God. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, scripture is absolutely clear about that as well. Um, so that we're no longer subject to yokes of slavery. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. The, the, the reality of freedom in Christ and under God is spread as we spread the seasoning reality of the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom for every sphere. Church needs to recover that. And then as Christians, in all of our activities, wherever we are, as we spread it to the nations, we have to live and apply that reality. Thanks, Jay. Yes. Pavel, well, I think, yes. Well, I think uh, Joe made a very important point about um, not taking freedom and democracy for granted. And if you look at the at the world's history, uh, that's an exception rather than a rule. And of course, you what you can also see is that it is not an incidental exception. This is well, this unique Western system of freedom under the law is a product of Christianity. That is the political system which, which uh, the civilization which accepted Christianity has created as its political system. And I think for a while, as we lived in the world, there was this uh, impression, this kind of pleasant, relaxing uh, uh, impression that this civilization has won. The Soviet Union was the last big enemy. And uh, from now on, Basically, the best, the free West dominates the world and can, you know, for example, when Iraq decides to grab Kuwait, well, we won't allow this because that's contrary to our principles. But what we see really in, in the recent couple of years, well, pretty much persuades, uh, uh, at least persuades every dictator out there that this is over. Uh, you know, we had our friends in Af in Afghanistan. We promised them protection, but then Taliban just pushed harder, and we've abandoned them. And then we had a treaty with China about Hong Kong uh, 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 remaining free despite mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, Chinese formal sovereignty. And China just decided to throw it away and capture Hong Kong. 
and we swallow this. And we've given the West has given guarantees to Ukraine uh, and in 1994 that in exchange for Ukraine abandoning nuclear weapons, the West is guaranteeing its independence and territorial integrity. And uh, Putin just ignored that, attacked Ukraine, and uh, there are a few uh, words of condemnation from the West, a few uh, not very impressive economic sanctions, and that's it. And Putin is laughing. And of course, well, the longer this goes on, the more these people will be encouraged. Uh, so the West must regain its strengths, uh, not only economic and uh, military strengths, uh, because, uh, well, that is something we obviously need to regain to be able at least to stay true to what we promise to, to, to allies. And obviously, well, once, once we've given guarantees to Ukraine to defend it, uh, well, the justice requires that we do it. I think the deeper situation behind that is that we've, uh, we've uh, um, as a civilization, we've nearly discarded uh, uh, what uh, made us a free and democratic civilization, which is Christianity. And nowadays, well, the point I made earlier, probably the way people in governments and in civil service see it is that, well, we are unfo how unfortunate we are less efficient than China. Well, how unfortunate we, don't, we are not like Putin who can really crack down on these terrorists, extremists, uh, you know, the way we want. And, and this needs to be changed urgently. And again, and that, that can only come from below, that can come from movements like, uh, like uh, Joe and his friends who've issued the Declaration on Liberties of the Church in uh, Canada uh, and so on, and who are fighting to, to uh, put it um, into practice. Well, that alone can save, um, can save the Western civilization as a unique civilization. And, and then we can think about it uh, being strong and, and defending uh, other nations. But without that, we are left there to sit and wait whether it is going to be Putin or Taliban or communist China who is going to reach London or Ottawa first. Mm -hmm. In fact, you mentioned uh, that was an excellent point. You, you, you mentioned there it's almost as though you have, especially during the last two years, you've seen Western governments almost envying the totalitarian controls and reach of dictators. In fact, Justin Trudeau is on record. I mean, this has been mentioned even in Parliament here. He's on record as saying, filmed saying to, a, to a, a, a large group that he admires China's basic dictatorship. He's, he admires it. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's a huge part of our problem in the West now. We have, we have lost the foundational principles that gave us both the social, economic, and um, and frankly, military strength, uh, because of confidence in our own civilization and principles uh, uh, under God, to be um, a blessing to the world, and we're in danger of becoming a curse. Andrea, do you want to um, give us your thoughts? And then I think it would be good if we could pray to close. Maybe Joe could lead us in that after Andrea's um, summed some of that up. Uh, as I listen, it feel we might be tempted to feel that it's entirely overwhelming. What can we do? Um, 
But what we can do today is the right thing. So where we see the injustice with in, in the place that God has put us, then we must resist that injustice. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the truckers went to the front line. When abortion, uh, access to abortion uh, became easier during lockdown, we went in to resist. We've managed to push that back back somewhat in England though it's still there but today we've heard that Wales is making pills by post permanent well we here at Christian Concern we will resist when you see uh, this injustice in the Ukraine and you understand how it has come then we have to speak out and we have to seek to resist we have to speak out and we have to seek to resist and so we must pray but we need to do more than pray. And we need to do all that we can to seek revival in our nation, reformation uh, where we are, and believe that through our actions, we will, we will see God work just as he did uh, so evidently in the trucker situation in Canada. But we need, we need to cry out to him to work. We need to pray as is prayed in Chronicles, that if my people will uh, cry out to me and turn from their wicked ways, then he will hear from them. Mm. So today, um, perhaps as we close and go into prayer, Joe, uh, you could pray that uh, the Lord would hear from us and also that he would give us, um, even at Christian Concern and the Christian uh, Legal Centre, the ability uh, to speak out and to act i don't want to just be a speaker i really i i feel so um troubled by this as an outworking of the whole of our work at a global at a macro scale you'll you'll see it's you see we've seen for many years these terrible injustices going on that whilst we're locked down in covid so there are so many more deaths globally by abortion mm-hmm. and no one talks about it. Um, as we're locked down by COVID, so, uh, so we abandon um, war-torn and afflicted uh, nations. We have these re- crazy images of children in masks in Afghanistan, <laughs> in COVID masks in Afghanistan. In, Af- in, in, in Afghanistan, where they're being abandoned by the West, where we see uh, disorder and disintegration in the poorest nations of our world. And, as, and, and, and today we're seeing this, essentially, the West not doing what it said it would do, not honouring its word in order to look after the Ukraine. And uh, we don't have the leaders with the moral courage to speak into that situation and it's because we've lost our root and the root the root um, being the truth christian truth which can which is what will bring peace and which is what will bring freedom so i pray that we will uh, we will be inspired to act and have the courage to act and that the Lord would not, that we wouldn't be abandoned yet, but that we would yet see revival and a way back.
Thanks, Andrea. Thanks so much for everyone's uh, contributions today. Joe, would you be willing to lead us in some prayer for, for us, but also uh, particularly for the people of Ukraine um, yeah. right now? Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this opportunity to be together and to discuss in the light of your word the things that confront us as a people as nations and especially as a christian people as a christian as the christian church we do lord today humble ourselves and pray and ask that uh, our nations would turn from their wicked ways and that you would hear from heaven and heal our lands lord we uh, see so many signs that trouble us and at times we may even be gripped with fear that we've been handed over to a depraved mind but Lord, we ask you would not abandon us uh, or leave us to ourselves because without Christ, and without his kingdom and without his rule and reign, there is no hope either for us as individuals, families, churches or nations. Uh, Lord, we need the rule of King Jesus, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we pray that uh, you would teach the, our nation again, our nations again to kiss the sun lest he be angry. We don't want to perish in the way. We don't want to lose the privileges and freedoms that you have bestowed on your church so that the gospel might be shared and declared freely throughout our, our own nations and, and through the world. And you know, Lord, the price that has been paid for centuries for the freedom of the gospel, the freedom for the distribution and printing of the Bible, the freedom of the church to to operate to proclaim the truth to disciple even our own children which is under threat and in some cases even been taken away now in western nations lord we cry out to you for your help and we especially think today of the ukraine and and most especially of our brothers and sisters in christ there and we ask that you would uh save and deliver them we ask that you would uh deliver them from tyranny and we ask that you would uh, provide uh, a way of escape for your people and we ask that uh, uh, you would push back evil and tyranny wherever it's found and we ask that you would halt uh, Putin in his tracks and uh, Lord straighten him out D bring your discipline upon that man and upon uh, the government there that doesn't speak for the russian people as a whole many are protesting and have been told that it's illegal for them in russia to protest against what against what's going on so we pray you bring your help to the russian people also and we ask that by your grace you would once again spread the light of the gospel through the nations so that we might know freedom and hope for the future we know that you have not abandoned your creation, but your intention is the reconciliation of all things to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we commit these things to you and ourselves to you, and especially the work of Christian concern to you today. We ask that you would prosper it in every way. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, um, Andrea, Pavel, Joe, for joining us. And thank you um, for joining us on Round the Table uh, this week. I just want to uh, remind people of something that Christian Concern through Wilberforce Publications has done. Uh, we've published various books, including by Joe. Go and read them. But uh, last year we published uh, 
Beyond the Odds, which is a book that looks at particularly the First and Second World Wars and the way that Christian faith influenced uh, many of the people in those wars um, and and the way that prayer played a role in um, in seeing some great deliverances through those times. Uh, so that might be an encouragement to some people as they think about um, literal war going on uh, in Eastern Europe at the moment um, and that God does still hear and answer prayers. So so I commend that to you um, for your reading. And and Paul, yeah. you know that I never miss an opportunity to plug Mission of God. James Mission of course. This Christian classic. It's it's not just Mission of God as well, because there's a forthcoming book as well, uh, which is I'm sure will be very relevant to this. Um, Absolutely. Ruler uh, of Kings. Ruler of Kings coming Ruler soon. Ruler of Kings coming out very soon, yeah. So uh, listen out for more of that. Um, I just want to leave us with, with one final verse um, from Romans 16. Uh, where Paul closes saying, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. God's in control. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.